Welcome. Our scripture reading is found in Mark, I'm sorry, in Luke 18. In Luke chapter 18, we're studying this summer the parables of Jesus, some of them. And this is the parable that Jesus told in speaking to his disciples. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared not God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect to cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Thank you may be seated. This is an interesting little parable. It's actually not only parabolic, but hyperbolic. In other words, this is a lot of overstatement. This is a a little parable that Jesus tells to make his point and to make his point in a stark way using contrast. He goes almost to the absurd to describe a judge. He gets close to the absurd in describing a plaintiff before that judge, a woman. And then he draws from it a stark contrast. Here was a judge in this story that was uh, quite um, self-important. He knew he held the reins of justice for that precinct. He knew that he could pretty much rule the way he wanted to. He didn't really care about the commandments of God. And he didn't really care about the opinions of man. That'd be a good place to be in, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's a pretty self-assured judge. I don't think you could push a judge like that around. You couldn't bribe him. You couldn't blackmail him. You couldn't threaten him. You couldn't do anything to really move him around except an extreme measure. And the extreme measure was this. In the parable, in the story, the widow had some case, some plaintive plea that she made about justice. She needed justice. And so she bothered him day and night. The scripture says there that she just wore him out. Uh, literally, it's from a word, it says, beat him about the face. <laughs> and now that's, that's another, a little bit of an absurdity in the story. You know, you get the picture, it begins to become almost comical because Jesus is saying, here's this incredibly um, unmovable judge. And then here's this woman who will not give up. 
but pleas and pleas and comes repeatedly. I don't know how she got a hearing before the judge that often. I think she was probably going to his house and who knows, she's meeting him in the market. Who knows where? Uh, she might have been what we would call today stalking him. I don't know what it was, but she was after him and he was feeling the pressure. And he finally thought to himself, why don't I just settle this case and get her off my back? And he did. Practical man, that judge. He just gave her the justice that she probably deserved and was pleading for. And he took care of her. She quit bothering him. She won her case and she received justice. The contrast is with the way the Lord deals with his people. And look at the, the contrast in the parable. Instead of a judge that is not concerned about the laws of God or the opinions of man, we have a heavenly father who is within his own character, absolute justice. The very transcript of the law of God in his nature. And a God who is loving, kind, merciful, seeks, seeks to find the very best for his people. Has his ear inclined around the clock, never sleeps, never slumbers, but is listening to the slightest cry of one of his people. There's another contrast in this little parable, and that is the notion of praying. The upright Orthodox Jewish notion of praying in the days of Jesus was that prayer had an informality to it, but a formality. And the formality was that it was set times of prayer. There were three set times for prayer, morning, noon, and night. We see that in the life of Daniel in the Old Testament. He prayed to the Lord on those three set hours of prayer, even though he was in a captivity outside of the land at that time. He kept the formality. But here we see a picture of the Lord's elect, the Lord's people, crying out day and night. In other words, they're doing what Paul admonishes us all to do, and that is pray without ceasing. Now there's two lines in this passage that give us an understanding of this parable and the larger message that we are to receive, I think. And here they are. The first one's the very first verse, and the other one is the very last verse. The first verse says, Jesus told them a parable to the effect, or it's pros in the, in the uh, Greek, it means toward, to or toward, it's driving at this. That is, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. There's two admonitions, and this is what this passage is, is a pep talk, if I can say that without being disrespectful. It is an encouragement. It's a, it's a horatory 
analysis that Jesus gives that picks them up, that moves them forward, that opens the door for them. Jesus is giving them a motivation speech. And he's exhorting them as his disciples to two things. One, always pray. Pray without ceasing. This means if we're not going to keep formal hours of prayer, which it's difficult to do, we need to keep a solid, continuous, never-ending, steady, purposeful attitude of prayer. We should be willing and able to pray any hour of the day or night, any circumstances, whether we're up or down, whether we're in a crisis or whether we are in repose, able to pray. And that's what the Lord expects from us. We'll later learn as we see the theology develop in the New Testament and we see the encouragement, the the pep talk that's given by the author of Hebrews when he tells us that the Lord himself, Jesus himself, ever liveth to make intercession for his people. In other words, the Lord is always on call. Always available. And he's available in his fullness and in his power and his mercy. It's not that you have to catch him when he's in a good mood. It's that he is ready and able and willing to hear the prayers of his people. And the second thing is, not only we'd always pray, but we're not to be faint or to lose heart. Literally what it means is to fade away, to fade away. And that's what Jesus is exhorting his disciples here in this context. And then, of course, directly then to us by way of their word, as they are the apostles that bear his word to us. We are to pay attention to the last sentence when he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Prayer, of course, is that prayer of faith. It is that ask believing. Your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Those that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's prayer and faith inextricably bound together. Prayer is the cry of faith. We ask believing. We ask in hope. We ask expecting. And it is that kind of mindset, that faith in God, that continual faith in God that is to sustain us through our lives and through the years. And this is very frankly, a second coming parable. And I'll show you where I get that, and that is in the conversation, it begins back in chapter 17 and verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, and then there's a long discourse that finishes out chapter 17 and begins chapter 18 where Jesus tells this parable. And in that discourse, Jesus 
has this sentence to open it up. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Did you catch that? Jesus said there's coming a day. He's with his disciples now. He's teaching them. This is toward the latter part of Jesus' ministry with them. He knows he's not going to be with them much longer. And he says there's coming a day when you will want to see one of these days, when you have me here with you, when you can speak to me, when you can call upon me, when we can have fellowship together, when you can, can ask me, when you can see me work and you can work with me. There's coming a day in that when you want to be with me and you'll want to see the, one of these days, these days of fulfillment, these days of earthly ministry, the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. The reason you won't see it is because He has gone back to his father to sit at the right hand and to make intercession there. But his disciples are here on earth. And that's where we come in. Generation after generation of disciples of Jesus Christ have lived in the days when we do not see with our own eyes Christ on earth among us. We must walk by faith, that we're not for our believing, our faith, our trusting in the Word of God and the promises of God, we would have no basis to operate. We must operate on the basis of faith, believing. And he says that there's going to be a stretch of time, an indeterminate length of time when that will be the case. You'll long for the days of the Son of Man, but He will not be here. You will not see them. What you will see, <clears throat> pardon me, what you will see is things going on around you. It's going to be, he said, first of all, like it was in the days of Noah. They'll be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day that the rains started coming and the flood started. He rolls forward a little bit. He said, it'll be like it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's what Jesus had just taught them before he gave this parable. So he's talking about his return. He's talking about his second coming. And sure enough, a long period of indeterminate length is upon us now. A century a millennium, another millennium, and a few years. That's a long time. The Bible speaks of a time and a time and a half of a time. <laughs> well, we're in that period of time, it looks like. Kind of like that. A long period of time. And it's a period of time when there is suffering. We are beset by sin and evil all around. 
And Jesus is wondering, are we going to fade away? Are we going to fail? Are we going to lose heart? Is this notion of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord and our Master, is it going to just evaporate and disappear? Will there be a diminishing faith on earth such that when the time comes that Jesus will return, and he made it very clear in that passage that they do not know and cannot know the day of Christ's return, when he does return, will there be faith on earth? And that's really a question that goes beyond the disciples to us, doesn't it? Because the disciples lived their lives in faith. They died in faith. They all died martyrs' deaths because of their faith and their testimony that they gave to the reality of Jesus. But here we are in this long period when it's easy for people to say, where is the promise of His coming? It says, they will say to you, look there or look here. He said, don't go. Don't follow them. A lot of things have to happen before I return, including, of course, his finishing his ministry on earth. His return comes later. And that's where we are. We're in what's called by the theologians the inter-advental period. We're between Advents. The first Advent where Christ came in the flesh, babe in Bethlehem, lived, died, rose again, ascended. The second Advent, He will come. And the Scriptures say that when He comes, He is looking for a remnant. That is the residue of humanity that have remained faithful to Him. He that endures to the end shall be saved, shall be rescued. The word that's used is a very common word in the Scriptures. It's the word elect. In fact, he says that on those occasions, the very elect would be deceived if it was not for the sustaining and the preserving power of grace. The remnant of mankind, those of us who trust in Christ for our salvation, who look forward to the return of Christ. The return of Christ is a reality. It is something that we call these days our hope. It is a blessed hope of a glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is, it is personal. The angels that marked the ascension told the multitude that this same Jesus that you have seen taken from you will come in like manner. And that like manner is, it's personal. Jesus, it's Jesus. It's the second coming of Christ is not fulfilled at Pentecost with the coming of the second person. I mean, the third person of the, of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, that was not the second coming. The second coming is like he left. It's a bodily coming. It's called a parousia, which means in its primary thing, an, an appearance or a presence. It will be a bodily return of Christ. It will be visible. Every eye shall see him when he returns. 
They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And they will recognize that this is the same Christ that's coming in the clouds of glory with the mighty host of his angels and his mighty army is the same person that hung on that cross executed by soldiers of Caesar. It's a coming that will not only be visible, but it'll be audible. There'll be a trumpet blast. In ancient Israel, when you heard a trumpet blast, it was time to do one thing, congregate. The great shafar would blast forth, and when it did, that was the call to the great congregation to assemble, to come from the four quarters of the camp and to assemble in the congregation, the great congregation, the people there and by the, by the tabernacle. And that's the picture of the coming of Christ, is there'll be a trumpet blast, and it'll be the call for convocation, for assembly, for coming together of all of His people. It'll be a trumpet blast that will waken the dead. And the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will join them and all will be raised to everlasting life or to everlasting punishment. It'll be a time of resurrection. It'll be the voice of the angel. The angel will be speaking. It'll be a shout. The question I guess is, the open question that Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? And more personally, will he find faith in you? Are you ready for that day? Are you waiting for that day? Are you praying for that day? Are you living the life of prayer constant? Living the life of faith constant, continuing to believe, continuing to pray, Continuing to hope, not losing heart, not fading out, not giving up, not going away. Let me just assure you that's one of the graces that God gives is the grace of perseverance to just keep on keeping on, to not stop, to not quit, to hold on, to hang in there. That may be the grace we need to pray for as much as any. As it has brought us to faith. And now that we may stay and live and die in faith. That's something we pray for all the time. 